KBOO Portland, worldwide at KBOO.FM. You are listening to Guess Who's Coming to Radio. I am Jamila Bordeaux, and that is, and you heard Bahamadia, Philly's own Bahamadia, biggest part of me from the collage album. You also heard a couple of Smokey Robinson songs and playing this stuff for a purpose. <laughs> you heard the love between me and my kids and the family song. Jamie McGriff with New Volume and Cannonball Adderley with Aries. And biggest part of me and the love between me and my kids for the most part made me think of, again, the system creating rifts between people who are systemically oppressed and systemically oppressed people being observed as enemy. And there is, you may have heard of this program that was created that is going to be aired. It is British, it's called Guerrilla, and it talks about the African liberation movements in the UK, London in particular, if I'm not mistaken. And the series was directed by John Ridley, and it stars Idris Elba, and Idris Elba also helped to fund this program. And it stars uh, Idris Elba, Babu Sise and Frida Pinto. So Frida Pinto is of Asian descent. She is Indian. And a lot of people took issue with the fact that she is starring in this series, which is about organizing for African liberation. That is not to say that people of Asian descent did not organize for African liberation, because that's not the case at all. There are Asian-led organizations who are doing that, who are taking part in that. But if you are going to have a specific story regarding African liberation to have a woman who is Indian star in it, that's questionable to many people, rightly so. John Ridley's response is, well, I'm in an interracial relationship, and so that guided the narrative of the story. If that were the case, make a story about your life. No one's concerned that you are in an interracial relationship. That is not the issue. The issue is the disappearance of women of African descent in the narrative, in these events of organizing for African liberation. So, of course, people took him to task for that, and he was very condescending. And you're seeing a pattern of this condescension when women of African descent in particular question these disappearances. I think the the questioning the disappearance of African women in these narratives is something we should be doing. And Spike Lee actually has done the same thing when I think a... a Cheska Lee Ramsey, she actually questioned Spike Lee on the silence when it came to sexual assault and rapes uh, with um, Chirac. A lot of people took issue with Chirac, but she just asked about the um, sort of, I, I I, I wouldn't say that Spike Lee was advocating for it, but there was a lot of allusion to it in many ways and, and some... Uh, acting out on it and it wasn't uh, I don't know and and so Spike Lee's response was you go make your own movie (laughs) it's like you don't know what this woman is doing she's asking a question and whenever women of African descent ask these types of questions they are silenced they are treated in condescending manners Uh, they are gaslighted so that's a whole other aspect of narcissism where Say, for instance, okay, you go go pick up this object over here and you go do it. And then the person who asked you to pick up this object says, no, wait, I told you to go over there to pick it up. And so it makes you seem like, what am I doing? Am, am I wrong? What's going on? And so the whole goal is to confuse you. And to me, one of the biggest forms of gaslighting is the erasure of African women from these narratives because saying, well, I want you to present yourself in a certain way. And then when you do, you're still not good enough. 
And this leads me to the conversation about Tyrese Gibson. So Tyrese Gibson, who I think he's in the Fast and the Furious series, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't seen any of those films, so I I cannot comment on those movies. I think he is in that movie series, though. But he (laughs) proceeded to be the savior of all women and say women who wear weaves, wigs, who enhance their body parts in some way they look like manufactured clowns so women you should just be natural and then you should do squats and the man is married so why is he concerned with what other women are doing with their lives it's because he is attempting to play this role of savior of all women apparently (laughs) and so of course women in particular took him to task and he was highly condescending the other issue is that he was on social media saying that his wife was a black queen he proceeded to speak for his wife and she said oh no 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 you're not gonna speak for me (laughs) i i do have some african lineage but i'm not going to ignore the european side of my family i'm not going to ignore my father and so he had to erase those social media posts calling his wife a black queen you can't speak for people like that. If you're going to take women to task in that matter, and you're not going to allow space for women's self-determination, and you're also not going to call your brothers to task for uh, enabling this destructive behavior amongst themselves and, and treating women in a destructive fashion, how, how are you going to be the savior of women when you can't even save yourself and you can't even hold your brothers accountable for treating women disrespectfully? So there's that double standard where men could do whatever it is they want <laughs> as long as women are going to be at the, the, the forefront of their pleasure. And so I look at the Kendrick Lamar song Humble in the same way. A lot of people have looked at Kendrick Lamar as being this arbiter of uh, socio-political hip-hop. Having heard his albums, I don't really see that. If somebody has something different, please let me know. I don't see him as being as political as many other groups like Public Enemy, for instance, or even a Paris, Conscious Daughters. I I just don't see, even the Bahamadia song we just played, I, I don't really see that element there may be a few references to social justice but i don't see him as being an arbiter of the new age of political hip-hop i just don't after hearing his albums i just don't and so this humble song a lot of people have praised him for um honoring quote unquote um natural women so he talked about how he doesn't like photoshop he welcomes stretch marks etc but the thing is These women are still, their aim is to please him. He doesn't talk about women being at the forefront of revolution at all. He doesn't talk about organizing with women for our liberation. He doesn't talk about, hey, I enjoy that you're reading this book and that you're doing all of this work. I don't see any of that. So to to pick apart one piece of a song and call the whole song revolutionary, hmm, and then to attack women who question the song and who question the label of Kendrick Lamar as being revolutionary. Again, those women are <laughs> being treated with disrespect in a condescending fashion. And this this amounts to disappearance of African women's voices. And we can't look at each other as enemies. We're all under the same system of oppression and you have growing amounts of men it was uh, men going their own way all of these organizations and people are are organizing in the name of men's rights that that is one thing but then when you're adding patriarchy to it and you are claiming you want women to be this one way but they're not good enough when Kendrick Lamar in the music video said I want uh, what did he say Richard Pryor hair so he wanted uh, afro textured hair if you will it's very much like my hair texture I did not see that in the video there was a woman who was very very beautiful by the way but she 
had freckles, she had a straighter hair texture. So if you're talking about you're attracted to women with Richard Pryor hair texture, where are those women? The, the women that we saw were pretty much physical. Their role was a body part and they were a mode of attraction for him, but not mentally. And so I'm just curious where he is as an arbiter of revolutionary hip hop at this point. I just don't see it. I see him along the same spectrum as Tyrese and many of these men who pick apart women's physicality and that's all they are. They are body parts. And so we really, really need to to hold each other accountable when we perpetuate that type of patriarchy and misogyny and particularly misogynoir, which targets women of African descent. There's patriarchy, which is under the system of capitalism, but then you have misogyny, which is like general for women, and then misogynoir, which targets women of African descent. And with this guerrilla, the director's response to guerrilla with Tyrese Gibson, with all of these people attacking women who have questions about the disappearance in these narratives, it sells to attack women who have questions. Our, our role is relegated to the back, apparently, but we're supposed to look a certain way. And so it doesn't lend to any sort of research, any sort of study, any sort of honoring of our ancestors who were at the forefront. And a lot of people, they speak the name of El Haj Malik Al Shabazz, they speak the name of Marcus Garvey, but they don't honor their wives. They don't honor the women who organized for liberation just as much as their husbands did, sometimes more. So we really need to understand that this system is creating those conditions in which we're looking at oppressed people as enemy. We need to understand that people are not our enemies. The system is our enemy. And I wanted to get to that. I'm going to play more music and then I'm going to talk about this so-called United Airlines situation because I, I look at it along the same lines. So many of us Africans are looking at people who have been systemically oppressed by the state, Asian folks, as the enemy. And, and people are saying, well, I don't care about this guy. Like, whatever, you know, Asian people don't like us. So we're going to talk about that, too, because it makes no sense. We have to understand the system is a fraud, as Muda Baruka said. And it's creating this narrative in which we look at each other so we don't organize. They're profiting off of our separation. Yes, we need to organize according to our interest, but we also need to come together and understand that there is a system at play which profits off of us looking at each other as enemy. I'm going to keep saying that because I don't think I'm saying that loud enough. <laughs> but, oh my goodness. You're going to play some more John Coltrane 2G. 9.08 in the p.m. You are listening to KBOO Portland Worldwide at KBOO.FM. Going to give away some tickets pretty soon. Hope you are enjoying what you're hearing. Uh, there's just so much going on, and I wanted to share that. Hopefully, the next show, we will have Keller on again. That was such a great time, and I miss having her on the air. So... I'm going to play a couple more announcements and Tunji. Thank you for listening. KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of Lost Perlis. And even at Flamenco Variety, Saturday, April 15 at 8 p.m. at the Echo Theater in Portland. Lost Perlis presents a Flamenco Variety shows with artists, musicians, and humor that will show the depth of Flamenco expression. Again, that's Las Perlis. An evening of Flamenco Variety, Saturday, April 15th at 8 p.m. at the Echo Theater, 1515 Southeast 37th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at cable.fm at the homepage under Community Events. I won't hurt you. I only want you to have some hair. Dearly beloved. 
Be sure to tune in to KBOO Community Radio on Thursday, April 20th, just before midnight. We'll be celebrating the life and music of Prince Rogers Nelson, the one and only Mighty Purple One, right here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. And don't forget, come ride with Diablo on Prince's birthday. More information on the KBOO website under Community Events. Rest in peace.
Thank you, Rochelle Farrell. Oh, my goodness. Rochelle Farrell is the greatest living vocalist of all time, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> she definitely puts me in that similar place as John Coltrane, as Farrah Sanders, as Earth, Wind, and Fire. Just oh, so beautiful. And I feel like she looks at music in a similar way as John Coltrane, it's it's a space to grow, it's a space to learn from, and it's a space to spiritually evolve. And she doesn't particularly care if people want to put her in a particular box. She refuses to go there. I totally respect her for that. And once again, I, I, I consider her to be the greatest living voice of all time right now. <laughs> uh, my favorite vocalist is... is Actually, Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughn is up there in terms of living vocalists. Rochelle Farrell. And that was Prayer Dance, live at Montreux, 91 to 97. You also heard Earth, Wind, and Fire, Departure. I think that's very, very fitting, considering Maurice White has left this earth. And Judy has left this earth recently. And this show is dedicated to Judy, if you did not hear Miss Judy Mae Phillips, if you know Miss Judy Mae Phillips, and uh, she has impacted your life in any way positively, you're going to remember her, <laughs> absolutely. Prince, from his first album, For You, with So Blue, For You is actually one of my favorite Prince albums. No, Not too many people talk about that album. I, I haven't even really heard Prince talk about that album too much. <laughs> I'm actually fond of his post Warner Brothers period a little bit more. I think P Parade is my favorite Prince in the Revolution album for sure. But as a whole, I, I am more partial to the post Warner Brothers period. He did a whole lot more jazz stuff. <laughs> and jazz is my favorite music of all time. And he did jazz stuff like Madhouse uh, during the Paisley Park Warner period, but he went in with albums like News, Expectation, uh, just so many albums, and um, he will definitely be missed, but we have his music, and there were a couple of promos, um, one happening on 12 a.m. on the 21st, and the other one this weekend, both, I think, three-hour specials, actually, honoring Prince Rogers Nelson, so stay tuned for those. We're playing some Prince here. Oh my goodness, Prince Rogers Nelson. Here, John Coltrane with Tunji. Mm, just so, so beautiful. Um, wow. I'm gonna read a little bit more and talk about this this airplane situation <laughs> a little bit. But this is from Settlers, and uh, this is Settlers: The Mythology of the White Proletariat from Mayflower to Modern by Jay Sakai, and. I think this book is crucial. A lot of people are probably reading it at this time. I also heard uh, the copies of A Handmaiden's Tale uh, are selling out and are have they have huge wait lists at the library. It's very, very interesting. Again, we can't compartmentalize our oppression. It's running from the same system and the same profit motive for the system has existed for centuries is not just Trump. We shouldn't be alarmed because a Republican is in there or specifically Donald Trump. The same system has been long in the running. 
and we need to understand that. Um, so it is interesting. A Handmaid's Tale <laughs> is uh, being read by many, many people because of Trump. Hmm. <laughs> but this book, uh, I, I think, is interesting in light of the Trump thing because a lot of folks supported Trump and those policies or what he claimed to be those policies during the campaign because they connected with whiteness. And a lot of people did in the primary support Bernie Sanders, but then Trump came along as being a person who was in competition with Hillary Clinton, even though they are friendly towards one another, let's keep it real. And even though they're both working for the same system, a lot of people gravitated towards Trump, not only because of the patriarchy, but because he promoted the white supremacist ideology a lot more, the xenophobic aspects a lot more. And Settlers, this is another book that I think is important, particularly if you are looking at uh, U.S. history and U.S. presence. Yeah, so here's a portion of this. And, oh my goodness, just so many books. Thank you. Also, I want to thank Richard for giving me a couple of sources. I haven't read these sources yet, so I can't comment on them, but he did name me a couple of sources to read. And please, if you have any books along these lines that you'd like me to read or discuss, let me know. I'm going to list the phone number, but I am on the air right now, so I'm not going to pick up the phone. The number is 503-231-8187. I'm also going to give away tickets and a little bit settlers oh my goodness unification of the white workers let's go there because that's what is happening under trump and the deceit of trump and now a lot of these people who are white workers have now turned away from trump because trump campaigned on nationalism on america first and now syria is being attacked and so all these people go i'm deceived no you, you, you may have been deceived, but the thing is, Trump serves the same masters that Obama served. Trump serves the same masters that Clinton, Bush, Reagan, all of these presidents have served. They are serving imperialism, they're serving Zionism, they're serving capitalism. Let's not get that twisted. The working class upsurge of the 1930s was not accumulated discontents. This is a common but shallow view of mass outbreaks. What is true that material conditions, including the relation to production, shape and reshape all classes and strata. These classes and strata then express characteristic political consciousness, characteristic roles in the class struggle. The unification of the white industrial workforce was a result of immense pressures. Its long-range material basis was the mechanization and imperialist reorganization of production. In the late 19th century, it was still true that in many industries, the skilled craftsmen literally ran production. They, not the company, would decide how the work was done. Combining the functions of artisan, foreman, and personal office, these skilled craftsmen would directly hire and boss their entire work crew of laborers, paying them out of a set fee paid by the capitalists for a ton or piece reduced, the balance being their wage profit. The master roller in the sheet metal rolling mill, the puller in the iron mill, the booty in the coal mine, the carriage builder in the early auto plant all exemplified the stage of production. The same craft system applied to gun factories, carpet mills, stone quarries, etc. It was these highly privileged settler craftsmen who were the base of the old AFL unions. Their income reflected their lofty positions above the laboring masses. In 1884, for example, master rollers in East St. Louis earned $42 per week, a then very considerable wage, over four times more than laborers they bossed. This petit bourgeois income and role gradually crumbled as capitalists reorganized and seized even tighter control over production. A survey by the U.S. Bureau of Labor found that the number of skilled steel workers earning 60 cents per hour fell by 20% between 1900 and 1910. Mechanization cut the ranks of craftsmen, and even where they remained, their once powerful role in production had shrunk. 
They remain their once powerful, excuse me, the AFL Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steelworkers, whose 24,000 members in 1891 accounted for two-thirds of all craftsmen in the industry, had dwindled to only 6,500 members by 1914. Mechanization also wiped out whole sections of the Berry Bottom factory laborers, replacing shovels with mechanical scoops, wheelbarrows with electric trolleys and cranes. Both top and bottom layers of factory workforce were increasingly pulled into the growing middle stratum of semi-skilled production line assemblers and machine operators. In the modern auto plants in the 1920s, some 70% were semi-skilled production workers, while only 10% were skilled craftsmen and 15% laborers. The political unification of the white workers, thus, had its material roots in the enforced unification of labor in the modern factory. I just find this book interesting in light of, of everything going on because a lot of people organized, they mobilized around white identity, and yet they are surprised, they are deceived by the very people they thought were protecting them. We have to understand we have a common enemy, and all of us are oppressed under this enemy. My goodness. Speaking of that, Dr. David Dow, he was attacked, he was harassed on the so-called United Airlines plane as people stood or sat and watched. I think that is the sort of helplessness we are conditioned to uh, have in our lives. We, we, we are paralyzed when we see these kind of things happening. And I look at David Dow as sort of this rebellious slave, if you will, because he's like, I'm not going to just get up and get out of my seat that I pay for just because you're telling me. And so he put up a fight. I, I'm... I support David Dow. So what happened was that they totally did a hit job on him after that. And they said, well, he was convicted of all of these things and he had his medical license taken away. One thing I did hear was that that was a different person they were referring to when they put this hit piece out on him. And other people were saying, well, it was the same guy, but he had two different names. I don't know the facts on that, but... The fact that these news pieces came out, which had nothing to do with the fact that this man was attacked, is very interesting because they do the same exact thing to African folks. When we had a, I can't remember the gorilla's name that that uh, ended up pounding the child who who fell in, and uh, Harambe, excuse me, and so a lot of people attacked the father who wasn't even physically present on that day at the zoo. They put a hit piece out on the father who was not physically there. That is what they do to people to to sway favor for them because there is profit to be made on this. United Airlines is is they're banking on people not supporting David Dow. So whether or not they put money into this hit piece for him or someone else did, I don't know. But the fact that it immediately went up, is it talking about somebody's criminal record, is interesting. The other interesting thing about the attack on David Dow is that they had two hired hands who are of African descent, if I'm not mistaken, what I saw in that video. So you had two colonized Africans beating up someone else who is systemically oppressed. So you had two, quote, people of color beating up another person of color in the name of this corporation, in the name of the state, because they were police, they were not uh, private security for United Airlines, but they were still protecting this corporation. And the other thing is a, lo a lot of people were saying that uh, the, the flight was overbooked. That is not the case. They wanted four people to, to get off the plane so that four staff members of United could uh, be on the plane because they had somewhere to go quickly, not considering that other people on that flight may have had somewhere to go. David Dow was saying, well, I have to go to work. I have to go to work. And he was attacked so bad, he was just like, kill me. He was like, you, you might as well just kill me now because I'm not going nowhere. you know. And then he runs back on the plane. He says, I, I have to go home. I have to go home. He was in such a traumatic state. The way he was running back on that plane, his mouth bloody. He was disoriented. And this is how systemically we are treated. 
people who have been shipped against their will to a whole other place on the map. And if you resisted, you were beaten, you were killed, you were assaulted, your family's taken away from you. So I didn't really watch all of it. I watched pieces of it, but that gave me PTSD from from just genetic memory. I mean, that's what they did to us. And so for other Africans to say, well, whatever, he deserved it, Asians are racist towards us. What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is another human who was attacked. And if you can't see this is a reflection on, on how oppressed people are treated, I, I'm not even sure what to say. I don't know if if that person is personally racist. I've definitely had people of Asian descent who were racist towards me. I've had people of African descent who had hatred towards me and who supported uh, uh, white supremacist ideology. I've had people tell me because I like to read that I want to be white. What does that even mean? It's that conditioning that that it, that envelops us to this point where we attack each other. <laughs> we don't want to see each other liberated. We don't want to see each other uh, survive from these conditions. And it's not even about surviving. It's about rising above these conditions and how we rise above them is be organized and understand again we have a common enemy. So once we we saw those two <laughs> agents of neo-colonialism beat up this gentleman, we should have responded negatively to that. We should not have said, "Well, he deserves to get beat up because Asians are racist." Like that that doesn't even make sense. And a lot of people are saying, why didn't somebody else get up out of their seat and, and say, I'm going to go? Your people were frozen. It was very clear people were frozen. And people also saw what happened and they didn't want to suffer the same fate. I don't know. But that's what happened with MLK. People said, well, if you do that kind of work, you're going to suffer the same consequences. Like, we have had paral paralyzation instilled into us so we see these things and we either rationalize why these events happen or we're silent as in terms of these things happening or we just say it's a horrible thing and we say it silently so to to our circles but uh, imagine if everyone on the plane did revolt I, I don't know what that would look like I mean that would definitely be bad press for uh, so-called United Airlines, but you know, it, it's just something that we can't go what if at this point. David Dow was attacked and uh, apparently the doctor said he had a concussion and broken teeth. I don't know, but how he was treated, I did see his head go against the armrest. There, no one deserves that. It's, it's just uncalled for. The CEO of so-called United saying <laughs> that uh, that David Dow was unruly and then uh, initially saying that oh we uh, we apologize for having to reaccommodate people is that what you call reaccommodation seriously <laughs> I guess you know people who were enslaved they were definitely reaccommodated <laughs> and made to work on fields for free that is certainly reaccommodation if you ask me so we we have to again i'm going to keep repeating this understand there is a common enemy the common enemy that is who that, that's who they're protecting united airlines apparently they lost uh millions maybe billions of dollars at this point but i don't think they're going anywhere in uh, 2002 there was a 15 billion dollar bailout of these major airlines 70,000 employees were let go the CEOs ended up making more money. There was a, a pensions reduced for uh, folks who used to work at United. The CEO made more money off of these pensions being cut. Their interests are serving themselves. Their interests are serving the system. It is not about serving the worker. There was the United Breaks Guitars campaign. So United is not 
unfamiliar with these moments and they're going to continue to profit because people are going, okay, it's a cheap flight, I'll go. But people are saying they're boycotting. I don't know if people are really going to do that or not. I don't have the answer. But whenever we see things like this, we have to understand there is that common enemy. And United profits off of our labor and we're paying into their CEO's salary and we have to in mass demand more from ourselves and demand more from these corporations. And if that is boycotting, then that needs to be so and people need to seriously do that. If that's just, again, joining an organization for our liberation, that definitely needs to be done. I advocate for that the most. It is 9.51, yes, 9.51 in the p.m. You are listening to Guess Who's Coming to Radio. I am Jamila Bordeaux, and that is Eric's Coming. And I hope Rich is okay, but oh my goodness. <laughs> Eric's Coming to the in for Rich Radio Lost and Found. Maybe it's called something else this evening. But, oh, we have uh, nine minutes. Uh, the number is nine, uh, oops, not 971. That is a cell phone number. <laughs> 503 Two three one eight one eight seven. There is Bilal. You must be my soul sister. Yes, you are my soul, soul family. And that is at Revolution Hall. This is actually part of the sold out festival, if I'm not mistaken. It is the 20th of April. And that is the day before Prince transcended. So this is uh, the 20th of April, 7 p.m. Bilal with Shy Girls at Revolution Hall. It is an all ages event. And uh, if you call right now, the second caller, 503-231-8187, you can see Bilal with the Shy Girls at Revolution Hall. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, Eric.
Cannonball Adderley with George Duke. Oh, oh, I miss George Duke so much. Cannonball Adderley, just wonderful. Circumference from the Black Messiah, not the D'Angelo album. This is the first Black Messiah. You are listening to KBOO Portland Worldwide at KBOO.FM. Thank you so much for listening, the kind words, etc. Wherever you are, please be safe, please be aware, please be positive, and of course, please be proactive. Stay tuned for Eric doing the thing. I'm going to play some Curtis Mayfield. So there you go. Thank you. John Coltrane. Thank you. Thank you. 